that's generator motivation and with a feeling of compassion and a wish to be of benefit to all of society and all living beings by taming our own mind and developing our good qualities. And let's listen to the Dharma this morning. I forgot to mention one was the gunman as a U.S. citizen and the second is that so many people have flooded the hospitals wanting to donate blood that they had to ask people please don't come right now you know which I thought is quite beautiful you know people just got up heard it Sunday morning went to the hospital to donate blood Okay, so the, um, we've been going through this book, uh, Don't Believe Everything You Think, for some time now, doing a chapter each, each month. And the uh, book is based on a poem that was written a few centuries ago in Tibet. Uh, and it, you know, pertains to our life today in this country, as well as it pertained to life in Tibet several centuries ago. So, um, the poem is called 37 Practices of Bodhisattvas, a bodhisattva being somebody who has love and compassion and an altruistic intention for all living beings and who is very determined to become a fully awakened being. So the poem is telling us how uh, they practice. So I'll read the verse and then talk about it and then read some stories because the book was written. I had given some teachings on the text some time ago and it got formed into a book and then wanting to, uh, it was a book for in Singapore for free distribution and then wanting to enlarge the book so it could be published here. Then I started asking people for stories on how they practice the different verses. So there's a whole collection of quite beautiful uh, stories in here that are all true, um, told by by people, you know, of how they put these verses into practice. So I'll, I'll read a few of them from this chapter. Okay, so the verse says, Harsh words disturb the minds of others and cause deterioration in a bodhisattva's conduct. Therefore, give up harsh words, which are unpleasant to others. This is the practice of bodhisattvas. Okay. So I think we can all agree that uh, harsh words are unpleasant. Yeah. Especially if they're other people's harsh words towards us. <laughs> okay. Our her harsh words towards others aren't strong enough, we think. <laughs> You know, we want them to inflict more damage, more pain. We want more revenge. Yeah. So uh, something's amiss in our attitude, isn't it? Yeah. But we often resort to har harsh words when we're frustrated or irritated 
annoyed, angry, you know, something's, even we're just in a bad mood, even though nothing's happened, um, you know, we tend to just have this habit of not being very careful with what we say and all kinds of rubbish coming out of our mouths, much of it blaming other people for our problems and blaming other people for the state of the world. Of course, this attitude of blaming um, doesn't do any good because we can't control anybody else. Yeah, and if we want, if we every time somebody said or did something that disturbed us, we uh, just threw them in jail. You know, and if somebody just says some annoying conflict, throw them in jail. This person did that, throw them in jail. Then pretty soon we're going to be the only person outside of jail. Of course, other people may have thrown us in their jail. <laughs> okay? But what I'm, I'm getting at is this whole thing of harsh words is quite um, alienating, you know. It pushes other people away from us and builds walls between us and others. And the thing that I think most of us want uh, that's very important in our lives is to have good re- uh, relationships with other people. You know, it's very hard to go through life if all of our relationships are filled with, you know, resentment and bitterness and so on. Uh, so we want to have good relationships, and yet when we speak harshly, uh, that's putting a bit, a big, uh, you know, what do they say? <laughs> Yeah, big roadblock in, in um, you know, having good relationships. And yet harsh words is something that we all uh, cave into, isn't it? Unless there's somebody here who's never spoken harshly. <laughs> yeah, anybody here? Never spoken harshly? <laughs> you know? We've all done it, haven't we? Many, many times. And so what the verse is saying here is it disturbs the minds of others, you know. So it's true, isn't it? Harsh speech disturbs other people's minds, just as their harsh speech disturbs our minds. Yeah. And this is where I think your question from this morning fits in. When we hear others speaking harshly, to just tell them how it affects us, you know, without blaming them, without yelling and screaming about them, but just say, you know, this this hurts me to hear when people speak about other people in this way. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it disturbs the minds of others, not only the person they're talking about and their friends, but, you know, when you do this in an office environment, then the whole office gets churned up about it. Everybody gets angry and it becomes quite a a nasty feeling place to work in because people are just uh, involved in complaining and harsh speech. Okay, so that's one disadvantage of harsh words, I think that we all know. And the second is that they um, cause deterioration in a bodhisattva's conduct. So those of us who are trying to work on our minds and develop love and compassion and altruism, 
harsh words, when we utter harsh words, it completely goes against the training that we're trying to develop in our own mind. You know, we're trying to develop kind thoughts and train our mind in good speech and in productive speech. And harsh words just goes, you know, and prevents us from doing that. Yeah, so we might be going really good in a, in a good direction. And then, you know, some little thing happens and we just get upset and start trashing somebody and... You know, we've been going here in a good direction, and all of a sudden we go back, you know, in the opposite direction. Yeah, so the harsh words not only harm other people, but they harm ourselves. Because when we take into fact that, you know, our actions leave uh, karmic seeds or energy traces, for lack of a better word, on our own mind, and then these karmic seeds ripen and influence what we experience. So if we speak harshly to others, then we should expect other people to speak harshly to us, because we've created the cause. We've put that energy out into the universe, we've acted that way towards others, so of course the boomerang effect you know, it's going to come back to us. It may not be the person that we spoke harshly to or about who then speaks harshly to or about ourselves. It may be somebody else, but the point is the same, that, you know, what we did then comes around to us to experience. Yeah. So uh, every time we speak harshly, we should remind ourselves oh, I'm creating the cause for somebody to speak harshly to me. And then say, do I like that? Then maybe I should keep my mouth closed right now. (laughs) And, you know, not insult or speak harshly to others. Okay, now the stories in here are quite interesting. So uh, I wanted to to read them. These are, like I said, true stories that people told me. So this one uh, says, when I was growing up, my mother would put Tabasco sauce on our tongues whenever she caught us swearing. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I hated this, and I thought that she was very cruel for doing it. Now I wonder about my interpretation of her action because her discipline kept me from making a habit of harsh words. Once I was a teenager, however, uh, once when I was a teenager, however, it was very cool to swear, and swearing seemed to be required behavior to show how tough I was. Right? Remember that? Yeah. Um, from age of 15 on, I created a habit of using many swear, swear words, especially the F uh, phrase. <laughs> Everyone around me engaged in this, so it seemed normal and harmless. One of the phrases I loved to say was, I don't give a flying F. 
whatever, whenever I said that phrase, I thought it made me feel better. Later in life, I met the Dharma and began to think deeply about the connection between thoughts, words, and actions. I could see how easily harsh thoughts led to harsh words, and those led to uncaring actions. During this time, I noticed that one of my closest friends used a really violent phrase when describing, describing winning at sports. He said, we kick the sh out of them. I started to wince whenever I heard that and gently called it to his intention. Surprised, he said he had never thought of what a violent image it conjured up. Now, isn't that true for a lot of our, our language, isn't it? You know, I'm going to shoot somebody an email. <laughs> yeah? I mean, we, we have violence in so much of our, our language, uh, you know, that isn't even considered swearing, let alone that, that is. Okay. So he had viewed it as just a habit of speech that he had picked up without thinking. He then asked me to call it to his attention if he used that phrase around me. I did that and he began to change. Years later, a carpenter was working on a building for us. He was in the habit of swearing whenever something didn't go smoothly which is often in the case of carpentry work. <laughs> I politely told him that I would appreciate it if he didn't swear on this one project, uh, that it was adversely affecting me each time I heard him. He was also surprised and said he would try it out. A few days later, we talked, and he shared that that day was so much more peaceful when he worked on our project. Yeah. He was still swearing on other job sites, <laughs> but not on ours. This led to a good conversation about how swearing can set up an angry mind and is painful to those around us and to ourselves. He commented that he got angry too often at home and that his wife and the pets would clear out when he started swearing. A week later, he told me that he had spoken with his wife about our conversation and that he was trying to change his swearing habits bit by bit. His wife replied that the conversation had lifted her spirits immensely. <laughs> Nice story, isn't it? Yeah. So that's also it's a good example, you know, for, for what you had asked. She, you know, the person just said very politely, you know, this kind of language is disturbing to me and I would appreciate you don't use that here, you know. And then it had this very pleasant effect that may have even saved the carpenter's marriage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who wants to be married to somebody who speaks harshly all the time? You know, that's really unpleasant. Okay. Now, here's another one. This one's called The Temptation to Scream Hypocrite. <laughs> Some years ago, 
I was in a work situation in which a colleague and I developed a romantic interest. Due to the nature of our work, romantic relationships were against company policy, so we kept quiet about it. But when my boss found out, he immediately called me into his office. Normally a calm person, he was furious. I had never seen him so enraged, and without missing his words, he told me I would have to leave the company. There was something about the way that this happened, perhaps his derogatory tone or his fury, that stayed with me as heaviness in my heart, even though I got another job that I enjoyed. Several years later, I came to know that my boss had been fired because he had developed a romantic relationship with a company employee. I would like to say that my first reaction to the news was one of equanimity, but it wasn't. <laughs> what arose was shock, then a huge welling up of anger bordering on rage, simultaneous with acknowledgement of of the almost unbelievable karmic irony regarding my relationship with him. I wanted to stand in front of him and yell, hypocrite, 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 until my vocal cords were raw and I could no longer get any sound out. <laughs> As if that were going to make her happy. I felt sick. <laughs> I went into the bathroom, grabbed a towel, and had one good long scream and cry. She was really in distress. Then I let the storm come and go. I couldn't think of anything else to do but go to my cushion and just sit and let the dust settle and calm the mind down a bit. When I was able to step away from my self-centered view and look at the big picture, my heart just broke for everyone at the company especially the junior employees who respected him and whom he had looked after and tutored with much care. I could only imagine what they were going through. So a good example how, you know, one person's action affects many, many different people. So the employees are human, and I was sure that their sadness, shock, and feelings of betrayal were putting them all through deep suffering. In light of that, I allowed myself to feel that suffering as well, and a sense of overwhelming compassion for all of the employees arose in my heart. And eventually that compassion made its way to my former boss. Whenever I, uh, whatever had led him to foster that relationship, well, I certainly knew firsthand all about that. It's what got me out the gates as well. I've been there in my own fashion. I know he's suffering greatly, and I feel great empathy and deep sadness for him. I dedicate the merit of my practice to him and hope that he will find his way to some kind of peace in his heart. So, also, uh, you know, a story of being able to work through one's rage and one's temptation to use harsh speech. Yeah, because she could have easily 
gone back into the company and done that and stood in front of him and, you know, shouted hypocrite and made a big ruckus. Yeah, but she chose not to and she chose instead to calm her own mind down and eventually extend compassion towards her former boss. Okay. So here's another one. This, this was... Uh, I was told by a uh, writer, for people who know writer. Um, my wife, who is now pregnant, this was a few years ago. She's not pregnant anymore. <laughs> um, they have two beautiful children now. Um, my wife, who is now pregnant, and I have been and I have been living and working in Thailand. Yesterday, I was on my motorbike going to the post office down a small road within a government complex. I was going about 40 kilometers per hour. As I was going straight, a truck that was parked pulled out from the side of the road and hit me. This impact set me and the bike down. I slid a few meters due to the force of the impact. Fortunately, I was wearing a helmet which saved my head, but my legs and shoulders are bruised and very sore. But the part that I wanted to share with you was that I never got angry during the entire episode. I usually have a temper and let people know quite clearly what I think of them. But when I asked the driver why he hit me, he said he could not see me. And I realized that even if he would have checked to see if anyone was coming, he could not have seen me. His eyes were clouded by cataracts. He and his wife were older and very poor, and he was obviously scared and concerned about the police coming. I felt compassion for him and let him know that I was all right. When the police officer came, he brought a mechanic to assess the damage to the bike. I felt conflicted taking money from this couple, but there was another side of me that thought that if they paid, it would send them a clear message so this would not happen to somebody else in the future. In the end, I accepted only half of what the estimated damage was, hoping that this was enough to make him more careful when he drives in the future, but not so much as to be a severe hardship on him. Later, when I told the story of what happened to a friend, my friend got upset and angrily said what he would have done in that situation. I realized that most people would have been outraged having been hit by a truck due to no fault of their own, but I still felt grateful that I did not respond in that way. I often doubt my spiritual growth and my ability to practice the Dharma in daily life. But uh, I see myself as being filled with delusion and affliction. Yet after this accident, I am grateful that I was able to have a calm head throughout the situation, and more grateful that I was able to generate compassion for the person who hit me. Most of all, I am grateful for my teacher and the Dharma, being faced with adversity is the true test of one's practice and spiritual growth. I was proud of myself 
and happy that I was able to turn the situation into a Dharma experience. Yeah. So again, you know, a very real-life situation of uh, transforming an experience in which most people would be furious uh, into one of being calm and, and not inflicting or not retaliating on the other person. Another one of our friends who lives in Seattle um, was in an accident. Somebody rear-ended her near Fremont. But rear-ended her? No, it was a head-on. It was a head-on. Yeah, in near the Fremont uh, bri- Bridge, yeah. And uh, she got out of the car. The guy was clearly very afraid of what was going to happen to him. And she said, uh, you know, do you pray? And he said, yes, I'm Catholic. And she said, let's pray together then. So they prayed. She was Buddhist. He was Catholic. Doesn't matter. They prayed together in, until the police showed up. You know? And she said that, that she really succeeded in keeping her mind Quite, quite level during that experience. Yeah. So it is possible. Yeah. And these are our ordinary people like us, you know, who really uh, took the Dharma to heart and are trying, you know, trying to practice, are trying and succeeded in practicing it and transforming their minds. Okay. So questions, comments? Yeah. I sometimes worry more about the harsh words that don't make it out of my mouth, but are still there. Mm. Um, I've, I've got the control. I even have little body signals when I can feel something like right here. Just don't say it, you know. And I'll like put my hands <laughs> under my legs like this, and I'll do, you know, I'll try and give myself some sort of a physical signal, like don't let that out, don't let that out. Uh huh. But I, you know, I I also understand that just having those words still does some damage to the person that I may have them for, or myself. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm not yeah. So you've prevented the negativity of harsh words, but the negativity of malicious thought yes. is still going on. Yeah. So then you have to work with that malicious thought with the thought that wants to retaliate, the thought that wants to inflict pain on somebody else. Okay? And so that's where the books, um, Healing Anger, Working with Anger, come in, where you practice one of the techniques so that we don't suppress our anger and stuff it down because it still is fermenting if we do. But rather, we learn to look at the situation in a different way, uh, such that anger isn't there. And one way that I, well, two ways that I often use. One is this one of whatever this person has done to me, I've done in the past towards somebody else. So it's only my own karma ripening. There's nothing to blame the other person for. That's one. The other one I find very helpful is to think this person, you know, who is doing this thing 
is in distress and they're miserable and I happen to be the object that it's getting taken out on. Whether I did something to merit that or not doesn't matter, you know, but uh, what matters is the unhappiness of this person. And so if I can see their unhappiness and generate some compassion for them, then uh, my own anger goes way down. Last year, I had walked on my back property, and my husband was around the corner, and someone was shooting at me. And I could hear the bullets going past my ears. They actually make a sound. And so I went from a walk to a jog to a full run. I didn't have fear, which you would think would happen. And then when I came around the corner, my husband says, is someone shooting at you? I lied, because I didn't want him to be upset. And I didn't want him to shoot back at this person. I just didn't want any of that to happen. And I said, someone somewhere shooting. (laughs) 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 I never found this place where I was angry or upset about it because fearful people, unbalanced people, scared people do awful things. They just can't see it. That's why they're doing that. And I don't know. There are times that I can get upset, but I think expecting something out of someone that's not there causes our own disillusionment, Mm -hmm. and then it causes me to eat of the same poison they have. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Good story. something, he would just say, oh, that's stupid, like, to the person, or if they weren't there, he'd just say, oh, that person's an idiot, or he might even say that to the person. And, um, How many of us have done that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. many, many times a day, usually, and, um, and yeah, I think I've done that too, but not on the frequency of that, and I just thought about how, um, for one thing, it made him miserable a lot. And it's so opposite to um, being able to develop sympathy and compassion for the person he's talking about. There's like, oh, no, um, oh, that person made a mistake, or it's just, oh, they're an idiot. No recognition that they might be confused or anything, or that he might be wrong. <laughs> oh, Again, he was, I'm sure he was never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of language and that kind of thought process, whether it's uttered or not, creates a big distance between us and the other person, doesn't it? Uh, with a real strong judgmental mind. And uh, I think that judgmental mind comes because the way the logic, the distorted logic in the mind is if everybody else is horrible, then I'm the best person. Yeah, so it in some way acts as a remedy for not liking ourselves very well. You know, so we put other people down and then that makes us look good in an attempt to make us feel good about ourselves. 
But of course it doesn't make ourselves feel good about ourselves because when we have a, that kind of negative attitude, we're just not happy ourselves, are we? Yeah? So it's much wiser to, to look at our own unhappiness and see where it's really coming from and try and resolve that so that we can have a kind attitude towards the people around us. Because that's what will bring us close to others and what will actually bring happiness and joy in our lives. It's hard to do in the moment, though. Yeah, that's why it's called practice. <laughs> yeah? And that's why... You know, I mean, the thing that, that I do is I take out situations from the past, you know, in which that kind of language, I've used that kind of language, or spoken that kind of way, and then I go back into the situation and I say, okay, how else could I have looked at the situation so that in that previous situation I would not have spoken that way? And since it was something, that, a real-life situation that happened to me, I can remember the feelings and the hostility and everything. And then I could really start to see the situation in a different way. And I found practicing with situations from the past like that very effective for training the mind, giving it a new way to think and to look at the situation. And if you do that enough on the cushion, then when you're off the cushion, something kind of you know, go ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is the time to practice. <laughs> and then we become more successful at doing that. I was also watching one of your um, the teachings in uh, Denmark about the various here we're reading from. Mm-hmm. And, and something uh, that you said in those teachings was really helpful to me. Like, for example, when someone is using harsh speech, for example, um, which is to, like, try and connect with that person's suffering. Mm-hmm. And that way we can have some compassion, but just really making that connection. Um, and because like you were saying in the teaching, if, if that person were truly happy, they wouldn't be acting out in this way. Yeah. And, um, just talk to me if I could, you know, you know remember to see that suffering <coughs> Yeah. Yeah. Seeing other people's suffering does wonders for for stopping the judgmental mind. Yeah. I was just reminded with my children, one of my children used harsh words a lot. She was amazing, but frequently I hate my brother, I want to kill you, and she would say it with a smile. she doesn't mean it. And then I heard someone say to me, and it's what I replay in my head when I use her speech, is say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. And if I really think about that, instead of just the words, instead of just saying it, really think, am I saying what I mean? Do I mean what I say? And don't say it mean. So Mm. when I use that with my children and made them really think about each line, it was much more effective. Right. And I forgot about that until now. And it also, for me, covers, to say what you mean, covers the exaggeration. I tend to exaggerate and blow everything up. And 
Yeah. Because also what we mean to say is, I care about you and that hurts me. But we don't say that. We give... <laughs>
shocked and, and, and pained by hearing that kind of speech. Instead of, don't, you don't even say, I feel shocked and pained by hearing you talk that way. You don't refer to the other person. Like the other one, I, I tripped because you left your stuff in the middle of the hall. No, I tripped on the stuff in the middle of the hallway. You know, I feel, I feel pain when I hear that kind of speech. Because yeah. I think somehow, I mean, people, people, you know, when they get to understand how other people uh, feel in response to their actions, it makes them consider more, you know, doesn't it? Because, I mean, we've all spoken harshly. At the time we've spoken harshly, have we cared beans about the other person's feelings? No, we just cared about ourselves. And I'm going to let my stuff out because I don't want to keep it stuffed in. And if it hurts them, so what? It's their fault anyway. I have a right to speak my mind. This is a free country. And it's your fault. Yeah. And we, this way we think. And then we let all this torrent of stuff out. And we still don't feel better afterwards. You know? But if somebody stands there and, you know, just says, that pains me. Yeah, that hurts me to hear that speech. You know, even somebody reacting in that kind of way uh, might shock the other person. Because they're so used to getting hollered at. And for a teenager, boy, getting hollered at doesn't stop you. That fuels you more. Because, you know, what are you doing as a teenager? You're differentiating from your parents. So the more they holler, the more reason you have to push back on them. I remember my beginning, my kids to come home. Um, it was always one of them, pretty much. It was a series. Getting home on time. Mm-hmm. And one in particular was just always late, and I would sit there and worry and worry. And finally, the next morning, I didn't get angry with him. I told him, though, all of the thoughts that had gone through my mind. That when you were 10 minutes late, I worried about a car accident. When you were 20 minutes late, I began to think that maybe you were at the hospital. By half an hour, I thought I was going to go crazy. I couldn't help it. I'm your mom. I love you. And we just talked about what can he do and what can I do out very good (laughs) but you see my mother when I wasn't home would have already called the police (laughs) she wouldn't just think I was in a car accident she would know and she would call the police so I dare not be 30 seconds late 
Shall we dedicate them now? Due to this merit, may we soon that in the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. 